Thanks. All right. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles out this morning. Let's open them to the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. You know, um, during, the, uh, during the 1960s, which some of us remember vaguely, uh, I know some of us don't remember, but some of us do. Uh, during the 1960s, there was a culture, there, there was a counter-cultural revolution that took place in our country. And it was actually brought about, or it happened, in that generation that, uh, that uh, really is called the baby boomer generation. But we were the, the children of the greatest generation. You know, the, the greatest generation are, are those people, my, my parents were part of that, maybe some of your parents were, um, they were that generation that lived or grew up during the Great Depression. And so they learned what it was to do without. And then they fought World War II. And they, uh, they basically saved us, uh, our country, from, you know, from fascism, from tyranny. The reason we're not speaking German or Japanese today is because of that greater that greatest generation who fought in one uh, won World War II, and then they came home and they built um, really the greatest country in the world. Um, uh, they rebuilt uh, this country and it became the greatest country in the world through that. Well, well, their children came of age in the 1960s, and their children began to which I'm a part of uh, began to rebel against every part of authority that there was. In fact, during this counter-cultural revolution, it became, um, you know, it became popular to, uh, to rebel against authority. Basically, all authority was set aside, uh, including governmental authority and, uh, and religious authority. Uh, in fact, you know, there was kind of a, uh, I, I kind of, the way I look at it, I think that there was kind of a, uh, almost a perfect storm of things that, that came up uh, during this time, like the Vietnam War and uh, the, uh, the protests against that, and, and, uh, and, and maybe some of the excesses or things that our government was doing and, and uh, that needed to be dealt with. And then, uh, of course, there was a sexual revolution in which we basically took sex out of the bedroom between a, a husband and wife or a man and a woman, and we put it up on the, uh, you know, in the magazine or on the front you know, page of the magazine or whatever it was. And then there was, uh, there was the drug culture that, uh, you know, that basically blew up uh, during that time, and it became fashionable to, uh, to, to do or to use um, uh, non-prescription drugs marijuana and those type of things, LSD. And, uh, and one of the, the mottos of this, of this counter-cultural revolution was uh, tune in, turn off, no, wait a minute, and drop out, right? Tune in, wait, help me with that. Tune in, turn on, and drop out, right? Something like that, yeah. Tune in, turn on, and drop out. If you just think about that, I don't even really know what all that means, but, but it was just, you know, it, it was just basically, uh, you know, we, there was a movement in which we have got to rebel against every aspect of authority. And really, that, that cultural revolution that took place during that time had, had wide-ranging effects on our entire country that we are still 
uh, dealing with or experiencing today. A lot, of, a lot of the social ills and problems that we face as a nation today came out of that, came out of that countercultural movement that, that just blew up during the 1960s. Interestingly enough, um, uh, and we, uh, you know, we, we showed the movie here, The Jesus Revolution, uh, a couple of months ago. There was a counter-countercultural uh, revolution that took place. In fact, one of the greatest revivals in the history of our nation took place during the 60s and 70s in this Jesus Revolution, which was kind of a, a uh, it was just very interesting the way it worked out. It was, a, it was kind of the counter-counter uh, cultural culture uh, event. But, but one of the things, and I'm, I'm saying all that to, to tell you this, one of the things that, that uh, the, uh, this, this, that, that, that came about during this countercultural revolution was something called love ends. Love ends. And so a love in was uh, basically an event where, you know, people would get together and uh, they would do drugs and, uh, uh, you know, uh, music was a big part of it, and a number of other things would take place during these lovings. The first official one uh, uh, was uh, happened in uh, uh, Los Angeles, California, in 1967, and uh, there were something like 18,000 people that gathered for a love-in. They were uh, just going to do music and peace and everything else. And we were going to, you know, and drugs was a big part of that. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll really was a big part of that. And uh, we're just going to love in. The biggest love in that ever took place was in 1969 in a place called Woodstock, New York, where there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 and 800,000 uh, young people that gathered uh, for three days of, uh, of music and peace and love and, uh, and a whole bunch of other things uh, took place. And it may be that some of you sitting here today remember that or might have even even been there, I don't know. These things were called love ends. I've entitled the message that I want to share with you today, The Great Love End. And what I really want to say right off the bat is that, that the love ends, or the hippie love ends of the 60s and maybe the early 70s have absolutely or, or can't even hold the candle to the great love end that God himself orchestrated or began all the way back on the day of Pentecost when his Holy Spirit came on a group of people and filled them with himself. And then those people literally went out and in a counter-cultural revolution, they changed the world. They came to be known as Christians. And this great love-in came to be known as the Christian church. And beloved, that, that love-in is still... It's still happening today. It's still going on today. And you and I, as believers, or you and I as Christians, or you and I as a church body, we are in it. We are participating in it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, as I was kind of thinking through how I was going to present this to you, I hesitated just a little bit because I know that, um, you know, to, to even call, you know, who and what we are uh, doing here a love-in, you know, might... 
uh, cause you know, some misunderstanding or confusion because the truth is, is most people don't really know what love is. We don't understand love. In our culture today, love is equated with sex or lust or, you know, maybe something else. And we talk about love in a lot of different ways. Like I, I mentioned to the children, I love ice cream. I love my truck. I love my dog. I love my wife. You know, I mean, I love God, right? I mean, how do we, how do we use one word to describe, you know, our relationship with all those things? But we're able to do that. What really is love? And the reality is, is we cannot truly come to grips with love or we can't be lovers apart from God himself because you know the Bible teaches that God is love first John 4 8 God is love and if you want to know what true love is if you want to experience it and if you want to express it you really have to go back to God and until you do you're never going to get it right one of the big problems that we have in our in our nation in our culture in our marriages is, is that we don't go back to the source of love to really figure that thing out, to understand how a man can love his wife as Christ loved the church or how a church person can love God right so that we actually, you know, um, we actually live out uh, this, this thing called faith. So, so, so God began the great love in on the day of Pentecost and to get love, you got to go back to God. And so it really isn't surprising to me, you know, when we read in the Scripture, where over and over again, uh, the, the Scripture teaches us or the Bible tells us, hey, look, love, love one another. Love this way. In fact, here in the very last chapter of Hebrews, and for the last 18 months or so, we've been, uh, you know, we've been preaching from Hebrews. And the last in the very last chapter, which is, uh, he, he, he's just kind of bringing all things together. And for, uh, you know, for, um, uh, for 12 chapters, he's been teaching us, hey, keep your eyes on the prize. Listen, uh, your Christian faith is like a marathon race that you're running out. And you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't quit. Don't stop. There's all kinds of dangers or pitfalls around. But you just keep on running, even when it gets hard, even when everything comes against you. You keep your eyes on the prize, and you keep on running this race of faith because if you quit before it's over, you're done. And so keep on running. So right here at the very end, then, he says, and, and in a way to kind of sum all these things up, he says in the very first verse of chapter 13, he says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Now, I want you to take a look at the very last word in that first verse of chapter 13, the word continue. Okay? And, and note that he doesn't say you need to start brotherly love. You've got it, he says. I think that's what he's saying. If, you, if something continues, it means it's already there. He says, don't stop it. Really, this kind of fits in with this whole message. You continue on in this race with God, your faith, your Christianity, your church, whatever, however you think about this. He says, let this continue. But I want you to notice what this word means. And I think to understand it, we need to back up a couple of verses. Do you remember last week when I... Uh, when I talked to you, we, we looked at the last couple of verses in chapter 12, and we talked about the great shaking. Anybody remember that? Okay, a couple of us. All right, the great shaking. God is shaking everything. Everything is going to be shaken, and only that which remains or that which 
which stays, you know, is, is where that, that's the only, that's where you better find the place to stand. And Jesus is the only, only place to stand. Look down at verse 27 of chapter 12. Or look back up to, to verse 27. He, he's writing about this and he says, This expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things. So in the great shaking that is coming, God is going to shake everything loose. And the only thing that is left are those things that is eternal. He says, uh, yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that, that is created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. You see that word remain, the very last word in that verse, in verse 27 of chapter 12? You see it? Somebody just nod your head. I don't, is anybody? Wait, you got me? All right. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, sister. Thank you. That word remain is the same Greek word, it's the same word used in verse 1 of chapter 13 where he says, let brotherly love continue, okay? In other words, God is shaking everything, and not everything is going to remain. Some things are going to be shaken loose, and there's a lot of stuff we're holding on to that one day is going to be gone. We're holding on to it with, our, with a death grip, but God is shaking it. But there are some things that remain. Jesus is that one thing, that place to stand. But watch this, brotherly love is going to remain as well. He says, let brotherly love continue or remain. When everything else is shaken off and everything else goes away, there's still going to be brotherly love. Let that brotherly love continue. Let it remain. Okay, hang on to that for just a second. Let's go on. Verse 1 in chapter 13, he says, So let brotherly love continue. Number 2, verse 2. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you, were, you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's quoting there actually Psalm 118. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, so, so here we are in, in chapter 13, the last chapter in Hebrews. And he says, uh, he starts out saying after he's talked about everything that's going to be shaken and shaken out of your hands, there's one thing that's, that's going to remain, and that is brotherly love. And then he kind of goes through a list of things. And as I was studying this, uh, you know, I was going, well, what do these things have in common? You know, I mean, it's almost kind of like a, 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 a mixture or a mismatch, if you will. You know, so he says, so don't neglect show hospitality. Oh, Okay. What does that have to do with brotherly love continuing? And then, and then remember those in prison. Don't forget that. And then let's talk about marriage here for just a second. Watch the marriage bed. Don't let it be defiled. And then he says, and keep your, love free, or keep your life free from the love of money. What, what are all those? I mean, those things, he kind of puts them together. You know, brotherly love, hospitality, folks in prison, marriage bed undefiled, and, uh, you know, uh, the love of money, puts them all together. What do they have 
What do they have to do with who and what we are as God's people and how we continue on as we run this race of faith? Well, that's the sermon this morning. I have, um, I've entitled this sermon, um, The Great Love-In, and by that I'm talking about the church, God's people. And under the title of Let Love Continue or Let Love Remain, I want to show you three things. And, and then let's see if we can figure out how this relates to us. Talking about the church body, let love continue in the body. Okay, first of all, let love continue in the body. So he says, let brotherly love. Now, this word brotherly love is the, is the Greek word Philadelphia or phila, uh, phileo, basically. Uh, it, is, it is the love that takes place between God's people. It's actually a word that, that relates to being related by blood. And so you're related by blood. And like, you know, one of the, one of the sisters down here said this morning, I got, I got to love my sister. I don't like her really. And, and sometimes I don't necessarily want to be around her. But, but I got to love her because she's my sister, right? Because we're related by blood. That's what she was talking about. That's Philadelphia. That's phileo. That, that's that's, that's the, the love that, that we have because of blood. And you know what the Bible teaches that that as God's people in the church, we are related together, and we're related by blood. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus courses through your veins. It courses through my veins. We're brothers, or we're brothers and sisters. We relate together because of or by the blood of Christ. And so we got to love each other. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, um, I grew up in church, and uh, I... Uh, you know, I professed my faith in Christ when I was about eight years old. Grew up in church. I, lo- I honestly love church. I love going to church. I know I'm weird. I honestly don't understand people that don't really like church. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't understand folks that get up on Sunday morning and go, well, are we going to go to church or not? You know, there's something on TV or maybe there's a football game or we stayed out too late. So I don't think I'll go to church today. I love. You know, when I stand up here on Sunday morning and I go, uh... I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I mean that, honestly. I'm not faking that. I really enjoy church. I enjoy the people of God. I love, I love, I love you. I want to be in my church on Sunday morning. I, I, was, um, I was out at the, the prison this last um, Friday. They opened it back up after the great escape out there. And um, I was visiting with the field ministers, and I was reminded of, uh, of a field minister who's not there anymore. His, his name was Warren Bishop, and, uh, and he did not grow up in church. The first time he told me his testimony, I thought this was really interesting. He did not grow up in church. In fact, he grew up so far away from God, you can't even imagine. He worshiped the God Thor, and uh, he prayed to Thor for power and everything. But anyway, he, he got convicted in, uh, of murder and sentenced to prison for life. And... Uh, and he said, you know, uh, and he got involved in, a, in an Aryan gang. He was, uh, he was a gang member. He was a leader in, in a gang. And he hated, he hated most everybody else that wasn't in his gang. He particularly hated Christians. He believed that the only reason that someone in prison would be a Christian is if they were a snitch or a homosexual. And he didn't like either one of them. 
And when he had the chance, he would beat up Christians if they ever looked at him the wrong way or said anything. He didn't want to have anything to do with Christians. He never, uh, he, he shunned the uh, chapel. He would never go anywhere near the chapel. He just hated Christians. And then one night in his cell, somebody had given him a Bible, and he was, he'd read this Bible through for about the fourth or fifth time, and he met Jesus Christ in his cell. Nobody had shared the gospel or anything. He just met Jesus, and he got radically saved. And in his testimony, he said, you know, it wasn't necessarily an overnight thing, but at some point I realized I don't hate these Christians anymore. He said, you know, as, as a matter of fact, I really, I don't, I don't just, I, I kind of like the guys who are truly Christians, you know. In fact, I, I would almost hate to say it, but I actually love them. And, I, and, and he said, I began to realize that those people, you know, that I used to hang out with in the gang and everything else, that now they hated me for the same reason that I hated those Christians, you know. I mean, something had happened within him that literally changed his life. And now all of a sudden, he said, I've, I've got this love. I've got this affinity. I've got this affection, really, for those who have the same blood flowing through their veins. This is what the Bible is talking about here when it says, let brotherly love continue. And it's the love we have for one another because Christ Jesus connects us together. And you know, this is an honest thing or a natural thing that takes place, this love that we, that we have or that we ought to have for one another. I mean, in, in uh, John 13, the Lord Jesus said, I want to give you a new command, love one another. This is Jesus speaking to us. Love one another, he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, how did he love us? Well, he loved us by giving his life on the cross, right? He said, in the same way I love you, love one another. And then he says in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Do you get that? He didn't say, hey, everybody's going to know that you're my disciple if you go to church all the time, or nobody is going to think that you're my disciple if you give a whole lot of money to the church, or if you sing well, or if you can preach good. That's not how people are going to know that you're my disciple. Everybody's going to know you're my disciple if you love one another. So here's the command. He says, I give you love one another. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever wondered, am I really saved? I wonder. I mean, I, some, sometimes we question our salvation or we wonder, you know, is it real? I tell you, ask yourself this question. Do I love the brothers and sisters? Do I love the body? Because I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you don't, if you don't love the body, if you don't love the brothers and sisters, and I've got, you know, we've got members of the church say, I can't go there because I don't like those people. All right. But, but if you don't love the brothers and sisters, I'm, what I'm telling you is, Jesus said, by this they're going to know you're my disciple. If you love one another. You don't love one another, what? And that, that's why he says, let brotherly love continue here. I mean, think about this. We are going to spend eternity in heaven, worshiping God with who? With one another. And if I can't stand being around you, heaven's going to be a miserable place for me, you know? 
right? And so he says, let brotherly love continue. And again, he's not saying that you don't have brotherly love. He says, just let it, just let it keep going. And, and sometimes it doesn't even look like love. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and this is kind of the way the world looks at things. The Apostle Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Now, what's the gentle spirit part? There's no condemnation. There's no pointer finger. There's no hand or whatever. But if, if I love Jesus and you love Jesus, and my love for you ought to be sometimes going, hey, man, let's think about what you're doing. Let's think about what you're going. Look at what you're saying. Look at how this thing, and, and it's in a, a, a spirit of gentleness in which we correct one another, and I'm willing to be corrected by you, and you're willing to be corrected by me. That's one of the ways that love comes out. It doesn't always look like love, because if you come and say, hey, Brother Greg, you're doing this, and you, you know, it's, it's a, the Scripture teaches something different, and you're going against that. I mean, if I can't receive that, and, and, and it might be hard for me, because I'm, I'm a human being too. But if I can't receive that, then really there's no love that, that dwells within me. In 1 John chapter 3, the apostle John, he, and he's writing about this very same thing. And, and again, there's no condemnation when God's people love one another, but sometimes they call each other out. You know, but in 1 John 3, John writes, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. There's Warren Bishop. You know, I hated those Christians. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. And there's that, if I ever doubt my salvation, let me ask myself the question, do I really love the body? And maybe I think I'm saved, maybe I've got it with it, but I can't stand to be in church or to be with God's people. Then there's a problem, Right? So he says, this is how we come to know love. How, how is that? He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need and withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in words or speech, but in action and in truth. You know, God loved me so much that he did something about it. He didn't just, he just didn't pat me on the back and say, hey, hope everything works out for you. Be a nice little good, or be a, be a good little boy. <laughs> no, he actually gave his son Jesus. He gave his son Jesus. And so the question is, can I give my life back? And the way this comes out is in the body of Christ. This is love in the body, let brotherly love continue. And again, he's not saying you don't have it. He said, don't stop it. Don't stop it. So if you're loving and then you get upset or you get mad or whatever and you decide, no, I'm not going to. No, I don't, I don't stop. Continue on loving in the body. Okay, love in the body. So, so let love continue, number one, in the body, first thing. Second thing, through the body. Let love continue through the body. So in verses 2 and 3, he mentions hospitality and then visiting those in prison. Now, those two things go together. I want to just real quick take them one at a time. First of all, hospitality. So he says, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Now, now hospitality is, is basically meeting 
a need. That, that really is, is what the root word hospitality means. And he says, don't let this be neglected. How is one of the ways that I show love, the love of God, I meet needs? Now, now in, in the first century, there were, in, in which this book was written and the people it was written to, there were inns. There were like little hotels in every, uh, in every community. And so travelers would come. You couldn't, you know, call ahead on your cell phone because there weren't any cell phones. So you just, when you got there, you hoped you could find a place. And these inns weren't always... Uh, very sanitary. In fact, they were notoriously for being, you know, filled with, uh, uh, you know, lice and bed bugs and all those other things. Christians, as, as the Christian church grew and developed, Christians came to be known as people who would actually welcome other people in their homes. And so when someone came into town, instead of sending them down to the end, oh yeah, you're going down to the end. Well, I tell you what, I've got a, I've got a spare room in my house. Why don't you come stay in my house? And that, that's how hospitality, God's people actually came to be known as hospitable. And, and what they were doing was they were caring for uh, people's needs. They were meeting people's need at their need, and they weren't sending them off to somebody else. And this is the way believers came to be came to be seen. These people, these people care about folk, and they and they do something about it. The church became known for this. In fact, watch this: the word hospitality. Do you know what the basic root word of hospitality is? The English word. What is it? Hospital. You know where hospitals came from? You know how the first hospitals developed? The very first hospital in history was in uh, the late 4th century. It was a Christian man named Basil of Caesarea. And he noticed that there were a whole bunch of, of sick folk around and infirmed, and they didn't have any place to go. So he opened up uh, a place where people who were sick and infirmed and in need or in help, they could come, and they would get their needs met. They would be, they would be ministered to. They would be helped. And so that's, that's where the word hospital came from. In fact, if you look through history, the vast majority of the hospitals that were ever founded or instituted were instituted or founded by Christians. Christians were hospitable. <clears throat> in fact, in our country today, 17%, 17% of the hospitals in the United States are affiliated with a, a church or a religious denomination. And you can just think about it. if you go up to Houston, uh, you got Methodist Hospital, you got St. Luke's, you got Presbyterian, you got Baylor. All of these are are uh, are connected to uh, churches or denominations. Our own uh, church, as we support through the cooperative program here in Texas, we support a number of hospitals that are uh, supported through uh, the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Now, you might ask yourself, what? part or what role does a church have in, in hospitals? Why should we be connected to hospitals in any way? <laughs> because we're hospitable, okay? Because we're just obeying the scripture. We're not neglecting hospitality. We're helping meet the needs of people. This is one of the reasons, and this comes out in a lot of different ways, not just hospitals, but our own church. You know, we, we have a food pantry, and we have a team of people in our church so that when someone comes and says, hey, we need some help, 
And some member of that team will come and sit down with them and figure out what the need is. And we might provide food or we might help with, uh, uh, you know, a bill or a meal or something else. Why do we do that? What does that have to do with the church and the gospel? Well, it gives us the opportunity to share the gospel, but we're just being hospitable because he says, don't neglect the hospitality. You are, you are hospitable. Don't stop it. Don't neglect it. And by the way, then he says, and, and you know what? Sometimes people who have done that have entertained angels. They don't really realize it because God is doing things in this world that we don't always understand or realize. And when we practice this, we're actually not only blessing God, but we're going to end up blessing ourselves. All right. That's the point here. So, so there's the hospitality. And, uh, and then he says, remember those in prison in verse three. And this is also an issue of hospitality, or it's also an issue of meeting needs. And, you know, it would be easy for me to sit here and talk about, uh, when, he, when he mentions here in verse 3, the, the prisoners, for us to talk about uh, the ministry that our church has out here at the Clemens Unit. And, you know, I tell you what, we have some just incredible uh, people in our church, volunteers who, who go out every week, and they minister to, and they mentor, and they share the gospel with uh, those men in white out there. And then uh, a couple of times a month, we go out and we have a service on Saturday and we preach the gospel. But really, that is not, that, and that ministry is vital. And it's an important ministry in our church. And anybody can be a part of it, by the way. But, um, but that really is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about those who are in prison because of their faith. Not because they've broken the law or they've done something else, but because or unless the law was, was you can't worship. You can't, uh, you can't serve the Lord Jesus. I mean, these prisoners were those who were being persecuted and those who had uh, been bold in their faith uh, for Jesus Christ. And they were being hounded, and sometimes they were being arrested, and they were being uh, put in prison. And so the admonition here is don't forget those folks. Now, you and I are, are blessed to live in a country in which we're able to come in a place like this and worship freely. We're still able to do that. We don't have to worry about the police coming in and, and shutting us down or hauling us off or anything. And so, and so in our... Um, uh, in our freedom, sometimes it's easy to forget about those who, who would die to have the opportunity to do something like this. They have to meet in the underground church, or they've got to, uh, they've got to go at night, and they've got to kind of uh, make sure they're not being followed, and so they meet in a secret location just so they can worship and do what you and I are doing right here. And what he says is, don't forget those. Remember those folk. Now, how in the world would I remember people who are being persecuted for their faith? Well, one would be to stay informed, and the other would be to pray. And, you know, what we try to do as a church family is to be faithful with the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because, you know, it was Christianity that shut down persecution in the Roman Empire because Christianity spread to the point where Christians weren't going to persecute Christians and so they actually, the, the gospel actually changed an entire culture. And beloved, what we're trying to do as we share the gospel to the ends of the earth is to change a culture that is desperate for love. And they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And so he says, love through the body. This is the love of God manifest in the people of God that is spread 
beyond the church body. We are called to love in the body, love one another, and then to love going outside the body or through the body, all right? That's the second thing. And now finally, love for the body. Love for the body. In verse 4, he mentions keep the marriage bed undefiled. And then in verse 5, he says, um, and keep yourself free from the love of money. Now, now you might ask yourself, what do those two things have in common? How do, how do those things go together? Well, well, let me just remind you that both marriage or sex and money are heart issues ultimately. They're heart issues. And if I were to ask you, if you were to name two things that over the last 10 years, 20 years, 40 years maybe, have done more damage to the cause of Christ or brought more shame to the name of Christ, two things, two issues that have caused more problems for the church or for the testimony of the church, what would those two things be? Sex and money, right? How many times have we heard, you know, of a, of a uh, Christian leader, you know, they got caught, um, uh, you know, cheating on his wife or running around with other women or doing whatever? How many times have we heard about somebody in the church stealing money or running off with money or the money being misappropriated or, or the church not uh, being responsible with the money, you know, that... Uh, uh, that was provided by God's people. I mean, sex and money have destroyed lives. They've destroyed churches. You know, our own church um, uh, has not been immune from this. Before uh, th- This happened before I came, but uh, one of the leaders in our church, uh, a man, had an affair with another woman in our church, and it was devastating for his family, for their lives. It was devastating for the church. And it took, honestly, I think it took years and years to get over that. You know, one of the things that I'm acutely aware of is that we have an adversary, and he says, if I can take down the leader, I can take down the church. And so as a pastor, I I guard my, my own personal life. One of the things, you know, that we talk about as a staff is guard your personal life. Because if the devil can get in there and if he, can, if he can lead you away or lead you astray or he can tempt you, whether it's with misappropriating the money or whether it's, uh, you know, with some issue of sex or another, uh, you know, another person of the opposite sex, that's what, that's what he wants to do. This is what happens inside the body. And so, and so he tells us here, let the marriage bed be honored. Let it, let it be undefiled. Honor marriage. Because if not, it's going to, you're, you're actually loving the body by doing that. When a man loves his wife and when a wife loves her husband and the marriage bed is undefiled, that blesses the body. And that actually grows the body. And when you're faithful with, in stewardship with the money that you've been given, so you're not given uh, you know, to the love of money. And, you know, it, it, again, if you just think about this, how many churches, even denominations this last year, we... We, uh, we watched while uh, what was once a great, great denomination, United Methodist Church, literally disintegrated or divided in two. And what was it over? It was over the issue of sex. Because that church, and I'll just give you my opinion, left the clear biblical teaching of what marriage is, the union between a man and a woman, right? Now, what they were doing was 
in, in their teaching was they were dishonoring the marriage bed. They were saying that marriage now is something that God never said it was. God created marriage. It's his gig. It's his deal. He created a man and a woman, put them together. There was a marriage before there was anything else. It's God's business, right? And when, when we come along and say, well, no, it could be between like two guys maybe or maybe two women or whatever. We're defiling the marriage bed. We're dishonoring marriage. And when a church deviates, uh, deviates or goes off or goes down that path, it's headed to destruction. And so that's why he says, watch this. And this is for all of us. We must remain vigilant in this, not just in our own marriages, but with others. And then the love of money. Because money has done the same thing to denominations, to churches. And so it's all our responsibility to be faithful with the, with the money that God has given us as we give back in our tithes and offerings, but, but as we as a church spend our money. You know, we just, last week, we voted on a budget for 2024, and, and we try to uh, be upfront, and we, it's, our books are wide open. Anybody can come in and look at them anytime. We're not trying to hide anything. We want to be transparent was the word that somebody used when we, uh, you know, when we presented the budget, and we showed it to everybody, and we said, look, this is the way God believe, uh, we believe that God is leading us to use the finances, the tithes and offerings that everyone is given, okay? So, so, so it, it, because we want to make sure that we guard or we protect this, so the love of money Money does not become an issue, uh, you know, in our church. By the way, our church together, we gave over a million dollars together to the causes of Christ right here in our own church this last year, right here in our own church. Uh, we, uh, we together met our budget. We exceeded uh, our budget. Actually, we gave over, I think, what, is, what does it say in the bulletin, 80-something thousand dollars uh, was our mission in gathering offering. I just want to commend uh, God's people for faithful uh, stewardship. That's what he is talking about here. Okay, this is love for the body. We protect the body of Christ. So, the great love in, the great love in, which is the church, the great love in, which is the body of Christ, is what we're all caught up in and we're all to engage in. Love in the body, love through the body, love for the body. Now, I want you to look at the last couple of verses here because just real quick, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that this really, all, all this that I've been telling you is impossible for us. It's, it's impossible for us as individuals. I don't have it within me to love you. I don't have it within me to love uh, a world that has need. My tendency is, is not care about people that have need. What do I care? Let them, let, them, let them get their own food. Let them do whatever. Let them take care. They got themselves in that mess. Let them. And, and it's not even necessarily within me to say, yeah, I, I, want to, you know, I want to guard my own marriage or I want to be faithful with all my money. But look at what he says here in, uh, in the last part of verse 5. He, he, and he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or abandon you. And that's the Lord Jesus saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you and I'm going to be in you. I'm the one that's going to help you do this. 
You're not going to have to do this on your own. You don't have to figure this out on your own. You don't have to get it yourself. I tell you what, all what you need is me in you. And when I'm in you, <coughs> he said, I'll never leave you or abandon you. And then, and then just this, uh, this exclamation from the psalmist in Psalm 118, the last part of verse 6. He said, so the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do for me? I can do this. I can be the lover that God has called me to be. I can love in. I can love through. I can love for. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the great lover that dwells within me. God is love, and apart from him, there is no love. I can't love without Jesus in me. And so really, the, the call you know, for us to love is to let Jesus live within you. I would ask you this morning, do you know this Jesus? You know, one of the problems that we might have as individuals, as people in the church, is, is we've just never really met Jesus. I mean, it's possible to fake it. It's possible, you know, just to... Just to go along and do along and whatever without really knowing him. You know, Jesus himself said, you know, that day is going to come when some people are going to come and say, hey, Lord, didn't we do all that? We prophesied in your name. We did all this stuff, preached all those sermons, did all this. And then he says, but hold on just a minute. I never knew you. I never knew you. If we've got any problem in our church, if we've got any problem with love, if we've got anything else, the Lord Jesus living in me and living within you solves it. And so, I just ask you today, do you know this Jesus? Does he live within your heart? And if you were to ask yourself, do I really love the body? <laughs> do I love my brothers and sisters? Am I loving through the body that is actively engaged in the ministry of the church? Am I loving for the body, protecting the church body, the ministry, the testimony, the, uh, 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 the theology of the church. Is that me? How would you respond? Do you know this Jesus? Father, I ask you today that you would help us in this love business, Lord, to love you the way you love. And God, with that love that you have for us, to love one another, to love in and through and for God, today, uh, Father, if, if just one or whoever would have to say, you know what, I, man, I, just, I don't love. Like that. I, I want to know love. God, I just pray that you'd just be so real right now. And as you speak to our hearts, you just take over. And we might respond to you completely and fully. God, I pray today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, if we've been unfaithful as believers in the body, Lord, today as we just get it right with you, we don't walk out the door without making sure we're right, the right kind of lovers loving in and, and through and for. God, help us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Beloved, the invitation today is just respond to the word of God. The altar.